You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Seguin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Refuge Community Church. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. We, we've been doing this every week, just really welcoming, hoping to welcome you well, because I know it's it, it can be difficult to just get engaged in, in a video uh, church service and a video sermon. It's, it may feel difficult to, to actually engage in it in a way that, that is, is meaningful anyways. And so I hope that, that this like genuine, like I welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us. You could be uh, a part of any other church service right now. There are a ton of other churches uh, posting their sermons and stuff online. And so thank you for joining us. Uh, if this is your first time, please go fill out a connection card. There's a link for that in the description of the video. Um, and, and that way we can actually take this a step further and truly engage in one another's lives. I hope that that happens. Uh, and to everybody else, thank you uh, for joining us, all of our, our launch team. Thank you for uh, helping us to do this day in and day out to, to, uh, to be a part of the mission in Southeast Austin um, as, as we're trying to work towards launching and care for the community there. Anyway, uh, we uh, have just finished up, uh, two weeks ago, we finished up a sermon series called Seize the Moment and, and trying to build healthy rhythms. And, and right now we're, we're doing a few uh, standalone sermons uh, before we jump into our next sermon series. And so I got to preach last week. I get to preach two weeks in a row. Uh, this is a blessing for me. So thank you so much. I hope that this is also a blessing for you. As I've studied and, and, and looked into uh, this week's sermon, it has been uh, encouraging, convicting, challenging. And so I, I hope that is it is as much an, as an encouragement and challenge for you as it, as it has been for me. Um, before we dive in, I, I just want to uh, open up with a word of prayer. Um, prepare our hearts. God, thank you so much that you have not just uh, have not just you know left us alone on this earth, God. That you you are not distant, but God, you are so near. You desire to be intimately involved in our lives, God. There, you have great power, and, and we we love you and we lean on you. And I pray that during these times that we would continue to lean into you and look to you for our continued uh, salvation, for our continued restoration and wholeness. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, 2020 has been one of those years, and I'm sure we've mentioned that many times in this sermon, but there's been like all these memes about, oh, you know, welcome to the <laughs> third level uh, of, you know, uh, the Hunger Games or, or whatever. Like 2020 has had a, a genuine, uh, like just feels different. The feeling of like civil unrest, the feeling of uh, division amongst friends, the, the feeling uh, that things are just like falling apart, disease, uh, injustice, all these things are falling apart. And right now we're in this like political season preparing for like who we're going to vote for. And, and, you know, we you may have just watched the the uh, the presidential debate uh, just recently and. 
and just looking at these things going, who's going to fix these problems, right? Like who's going to help save us, rescue us from all the junk that is happening or who's going to be more destructive, right? Like we're looking, trying to figure out which human is going to make the best, uh, most, uh, the best decisions to help guide our country and make things better because what we all don't want to see is more 2020. What we want is something better, but what we actually crave... I believe what we really truly crave is for the kingdom of God to be fully revealed. And neither political party, neither the Democrats, nor the Republicans, nor the Libertarians, nor any other independent Green Party, whatever, no political party has it all figured out and is perfectly in line with God's kingdom uh, rule and reign. None of them have it. And so uh, as we're looking for a way out, we need to stop looking to a a certain individual to fix all these problems, right? Uh, the reality is, uh, yes, we we are going to need to vote, and, and we play a role in all of that, and we're actually going to dive into that a little bit this week. Next week, I think, we're going to get into it a lot more, or Josh is going to be diving into that a lot more, but but this week, I just really wanted to encourage you to to stop setting your attention on all the brokenness and the fear and the division in this world and set our eyes on Jesus to focus on Christ, which is actually the title of my sermon this week. Uh, so if you're looking for a title, focus on Christ. And the be- one of the best ways to do that, I think, is to look to that great uh, Christ hymn. The great Christ hymn in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And so we're going to be looking at how all of this unfolds, how Paul describes uh, Jesus uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And as we look to him, as we focus on him, I, I believe that it will bring peace to our hearts, that it will calm the fears and the worries and the doubts. And not only will it calm those fears and worries and doubts, it will give us hope and promise and something better to set our eyes on than the darkness all around us. And so what we're going to see today is that Paul uh, points out, I believe, in, the, in these things, three things that we can set our attention on. First of all, focus on Christ's power. Second of all, focus on Christ's place. And third of all, focus on Christ's plan. Focus on Christ's power, place, and plan. And we'll be diving into all these, explaining that all further. But first of all, we're just going to dive into focus on Christ's Power. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 uh, is, is where we're going to start off here. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, he being Jesus, the, invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Man, like this picture of Jesus is like, Christ is over all. Christ is sovereign. Christ is in control. Everything, all things are are for him. It's all about Jesus. He is over it all. 
And it starts off with this statement about him being the image of the invisible God. And I kind of want to just break down some of this language. The idea of being the image of the invisible God. We often talk about being created in the image of God. All, All humanity being created in the image of God from Adam and Eve onward. The idea, while um, many have for, for, well, since this statement has been made, have argued over what does it mean? Like what attributes about humanity point to the image of God? Is it about free will? Is it about, uh, is it about our intellect? Is it about how, like, how do we stand above and, and reveal who God is by, by, uh, by being made in his image, right? Like this is the question we keep asking. And, and what is, is really fascinating is that the image of God, this, this language was actually language used uh, to point to royalty who ruled in the way that a particular God would rule. Royalty that ruled in a way that a particular God would rule. Specifically, kings usually, pharaohs, occasionally uh, female pharaohs, but, but specifically like the top the top authority in a land, the top human authority has a kind of divine authority that they would be ruling in the way that pleases their uh, deity. So you may, you know, one one pharaoh may be uh, the very image of Ra, you know, one of the gods. Um, and when when G, when God says that we are made in His image, the idea is that we are made in the image of Yahweh, which means that we are given a sense of authority and power to walk in and walk in and carry out His kingdom uh, rule and reign. So, ruling in the way that our God would rule. To be the image of God means to rule in the way that God would want us to rule. And so when Jesus is said here to be the the image of the invisible God, we have here a picture of who God really is and the way he truly desires to rule. It's It's not just about intellect and stuff. We're talking about Christ revealing something about God's rule that we could not have grasped without him. And I think it's so easy for us to to look at that that image bearer thing and say, you know, well, um, yeah, sure, Jesus did it well, but I mean, it's just about, you know, um, you know, is is he uh, does he have the same will as God? And and I think that's wrapped up in it. But ultimately, this idea of the way that Jesus ruled and reigned, and often we can look at people have looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament and said, man, the God of the Old Testament is so different from the compassionate Jesus that we see in the New Testament. When in the reality, it, when the reality is here, he's saying the image of God, the way that Jesus did things, the way that Jesus took the throne on the cross, the way that Jesus does things, is the perfect picture of who God is. So if you see the peaceful, loving, compassionate Jesus, if you see him, you can see the Father as well. And so this this is the picture we get. So when we see him as the image of God, when it says that he's the image of God, it's starting off right away with someone with power, with divine authority, someone who's ruling in a, in a specific way that reflects what Yahweh would want. But not only is he the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn over all creation. And now some people have looked at this and said, oh, you know, especially in some translations, it can be a little bit tricky, the firstborn of, of all creation or something like that. The reality is here, firstborn in this, this phrase, firstborn has to do with his uh, preeminence. 
It's a phrase, it's a term that, that could have been used in multiple ways, could have been referring to birth order, but the reality is that Jesus came much later in creation technically, right? Like, so it's not like he was the, literally the firstborn part of creation. He is firstborn over all of creation. So what, what ultimately it's saying is this is my chosen heir who will oversee and be above and over all. Like this is the kind of, of speech that it's getting into. And, uh, you know, this, this, this idea of firstborn was a phrase that, that uh, actually God used to speak of uh, Ephraim in uh, Jeremiah 31, 9. Ephraim uh, was actually not born before it was not actually uh, Joseph's firstborn son, uh, he Manasseh was, and, and we we learned that in Genesis forty eight fourteen, Joshua seventeen one, like Manasseh is the firstborn, but Ephraim is is secondborn. But later on in Jeremiah, God. Uh, poetically, but also uses this, he just uses his term firstborn to speak of like a favored individual, a one who is preeminent above others. And so this is what we're getting, this idea of a Christ who reflects the rulership of Yahweh, who is the preeminent one above, above and over all of creation. He, he is the one that is above all things. And so we see all of that, but then it says that Jesus created everything. There's no human, no spiritual authority that exists. No no uh, human authority that exists. No authority in heaven or on earth exists without being created, being given by Jesus. He is the one who made all things. But but even more than that, Jesus is not just the creator of all uh, all creation. He is also uh, the me- he's also the means of creation, and he's also the end goal of creation. Like this is like all things are made by him, through him, and for him. By him, through him, and for him. What what does this mean? I mean, think about this. Jesus is the Word of God, right? And God speaks things into existence. So it is it is. He is the very power that God uses to create somehow. It's like this mysterious, amazing thing. And, and yet it is through him that things are created, through him being the word. And then in the end, he enters into creation himself. And all things are renewed and transformed by him. He becomes the very first piece of creation, actually, that that uh, that is glorified and transformed. And so we have in Jesus, like all things uh, pointing uh, to this ultimate destiny of glorifying God. That's actually the purpose of all of creation, glorify God. And so even though this is the ultimate goal, creation hadn't done that until Jesus came. And then one part of of creation, one one human finally did it just right, truly and fully glorify God and set things on a path to transform all things and redeem all things so that all things might glorify him. That is what Jesus does. And so we have this beautiful picture here of all things being uh, from him, uh, through him, and, and for him, and ultimately coming from the Father, but, but Jesus being the creator, the means by which things are created, and then the end goal of all of creation. I mean, he has power over everything because he has created everything. He sustains everything. 
when we begin to see this idea of Jesus as ruler, and we know the character of Jesus, and we see the way that he, he handled things on this earth, and we see the way that he loved others, and we see his power and authority and how all things are for him and through him and by him. Like when we see all of this, when we see ultimately Christ's power, man, how much comfort does it bring to know that we have a good and sovereign king on the throne. You can look around and see the mess and the chaos and feel like there's, there's, the, 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 the things are just going you know, worse and worse and everything's going to be destroyed and everything's coming to an end and there's this like feeling of everything is messed up. And there's a reality that, yes, things have been marred by sin, but Jesus is on at work redeeming and fixing all things, that all things are by him, for him, through him, and, and you know, to him, ultimately. Man, when we look at the world around us, we see this mess, but I, it reminds me of uh, actually one of my favorite kinds of artwork. It's called um, anamorphic art. Uh, I looked up the word of what it was called because I didn't know what it was called, but I had seen it in different places and I thought it was the coolest thing. Anamor anamorphic art is art that uh, needs to be viewed from exactly the right distance and exactly the right uh, angle to be able to see what the, the artist wanted you to see. And if you can see that like, there is graffiti in different areas that like you'll see something on a bridge and then down here and it makes one picture if you look at the right angle, different things like that. But my favorite ones are actually these um, these like uh, 3D ones where you can walk from one side and you don't see anything and then you see something. And and in fact, there, there's one that I thought was really, really cool uh, by Michael Murphy. It's called Perceptual Shift. Perceptual Shift. And you walk into the room uh, when you walk into the room, you you might just see. If you walk in on one end of the room, you walk in and you see just these dots hanging, and 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 it like just kind of looks like it's getting like coming to a point, and you're kind of like, I don't know what this mess is. Um, and, and it would it would be really easy to look at that and be like, is that really art though? Is that really art though? And uh, depending on your philosophy of life, maybe it is art. Maybe it's just a beautiful chaos mess, you know, whatever. But all, but you can walk in and you look at it and you see like it's just a bunch of these like balls hanging uh, from a ceiling and and they're just like like they look like they've been shaped a certain way on purpose. But you're kind of like it looks random. It looks like a mess. But if you walk around to the front side, you get to see what the artist was making. And it's incredible. In this work of art, it's this eye, you know, this, this eye. And it looks, I mean, actually looks really detailed, like looks really, really detailed. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's incredible to be able to see that artists can do this. And so uh, Michael Murphy does this with this idea of a perceptual shift. And, and the, like obviously perceptual shift and I, like there's something being said here. And the reality is that this is what we need. We need a perceptual shift if we truly want, uh, want to have the peace that we desire. We need to stop looking at the mess around us as, as uh, you know, from the wrong angle. And the reality is we can't look at it exactly from God's angle. We're, we're never going to be able to get outside of space and time and look from the, you know, the end of all things and be able to see the, the beautiful picture that God is creating through Christ Jesus.
We're never going to be able to do it exactly like that. But when you read scripture, you get a bit of that picture. You get to see what God's doing. If you read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you get that, that little glimpse into how each each moment and each piece of time and space come together like these little balls of, of, of art, you know, that are being directed in a path that eventually will reveal the glory of God more fully than anything we've ever seen before. And you, you have to look from exactly the right, if you could have God's vantage point, you'd be able to see it. But for us, we're like walking into the room, looking around going like, I don't know what this is. These are a bunch of random dots. And it, but in fact, we can't even step outside of it. You can't be walking into the room. You're actually one of the dots looking around at the other dots going, why, what is all this chaos around me? What is, what is all the chaos around me? You can't step outside of it, you know? And the reality is that if you were able to see it from God's perspective, you'd be able to see that Christ's power means that all of creation, all of time and space is creating this beautiful picture that you one day, that you're a part of and you will one day see God's glory so fully and so perfectly, it will blow your mind. And right now it may look like chaos, but I want to remind you that, that Christ's power, when we focus on Christ's power, it sets our hearts right, brings peace to us because it reminds us that we're a part of something that we can trust, a good and loving artist who's at work in our lives and in the lives around us and the world around us. So we have a good con uh, creator who is in control. We, and so we rightly should focus on Christ's power. But also in the midst of this chaos, focus on Christ's place, Christ's place. We're gonna be looking at verse 18 here, Christ's place. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might, com uh, might come to have first place in everything. Man, by entering creation, he becomes uh, part of creation and makes a pathway for us to, uh, to come to God, ultimately becoming first place in everything himself. Now, I'm talking about, you know, focusing on Christ's place, the fact that he is first place, that he is above and beyond all of us, but remembering that he, it is be, as part of creation that he does this. He was, alre he was already God long before he became, uh, took on human flesh, right? Like he was already God before he became fully human. Uh, and there is this reality that he already had all dominion and all authority, but by entering into creation and becoming the first, uh, the, the first one to be resurrected and receive the glorified body and, and the first one to enter into the heavens, the first one to the, think about this. There is a human sitting on the throne in heaven right now. The, like that is incredible. He was the first one to do that. And so, Jesus is the first human who's able to come and enter into God's presence fully. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. And, and for the first time ever in human history, a human enters into God's throne room like fully in a body, like in flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are there in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. But we see this because it says that he is, uh, he is the, the firstborn from the dead. But I, I want to look also at this idea that he's the, the head 
of the body, the head of the body. This is actually a, uh, I, I would say that typically when we think of the head of the body uh, in our culture uh, and, and from the science that we understand, we think of like, well, you, you use the term like the head of the organization, like the leader, right? The boss, you know? And while there is there like there is a reality that he is like leading the way in this, the, uh, there's another side to this idea of head that I think we need to grasp to fully grasp what Paul is talking about. In the ancient world, uh, the modern science back then, the ancient science now, uh, the ancient science believed that the head of a body literally gave life to the rest of the body. It was through the head that the rest of the body had growth and life. And so like we are like this is not necessarily this is not like how it really works. Like we know now that's not how it works, but what but what Paul is doing is he's taking a a if if he knows his readers, he knows what they're thinking, and what he's able to do is say like, "Hey, the way that that the body receives life, or the way that we believe the body receives life from the head, also the church receives life from the head, Christ." And and we see that actually, um, I had just a couple of quotes for you. Just I'm just going to give you two, but like just so you're like, if you're like, wait, how? Where did that come? Like, is that real? Is that really a thing? Yes, actually, Eretius, one of the most popular uh, physicians in the second, first or second century uh, A.D., uh, wrote about this. He said this: "From the head is the source of life, because the head is the place of perception and the starting point of the nerves." And then Philo, actually a first century Hellenistic Jewish philosopher, so writing around the same time as the New Testament authors, um, he, he says, he, said, uh, he, exp- he announces that the limbs of the body draw life uh, from the forces in the head. Like I, I, like, I don't think we grasp fully how much uh, that mentality is. I think oftentimes, like, it's kind of like if we were to use the term heart today, like, uh, it's pumping blood through the whole body. It's giving life to everything. Like it's the source of, and, and when we think of heart, we think of like a, a compassionate thing that's giving out. Some, like, I think, I don't know if the science would be exact or whatever, but I, I think there is a reality that like the way we use heart today as a kind of a, like it, there's a similarity there um, where it, it's going to carry more weight than just the blood pumping through the body, right? Uh, the, the head carried more, more weight than just, the, uh, than just uh, pa- sending signals to the body and receiving signals from the body and leading the, the charge or something like that. What we get from ancient ideologies, uh, you have to wrap your head around this. Uh, that was really pun intended. Uh, that was a really cheesy joke. But the point being, you're you. Uh, we find ourselves in in a place if we understand that, where we understand that Jesus is not uh, in is not just the head, like the leader of the church, but he is the life giver of the church. In fact, he is the resurrection life giver. He's the first born from the dead. And so the idea of death to life. And him leading the way in that, and then us getting to follow in his footsteps. Like, that is what's happening here. And so we get this hopeful picture that a piece of creation has entered into heaven, and that makes it possible for us who were, you know, like, you know, infinitely separated from God 
to be able to see a pathway forward. It, may, it makes me think a, a little bit about like the idea of when, when, when Obama was elected, President Obama was elected, right? I mean, regardless of your political leanings, whether you are a Democrat or Republican, whether you agreed with Obama on, on any of his, his politics or not, what happened when he was elected was a country where we told the, all of the children you could grow up and be whatever you wanted to be had never had a black president before. Black children could now look and see a way forward to the highest place of power. They could, then they could see a way forward into any area. There's like hope in the hearts of, of kids, you know, when they see a black president, the idea that like I can envision now myself being there. And there's a lot of psychology behind that that like says like this is a reality. Like if you have a visual representation of something, you actually can see yourself doing something if, if it – if the person you see on TV or whatever matches uh, what you feel like you look like, and, and like, there's a lot going on there. But I, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, is like for the first time ever, black children saw that there was there's no limit to what they can do. Now we have a lot of progress to make. Obviously, like we it, we aren't fully like we haven't fixed every system, and there's still work that needs to be done. But my point is is simply this: in Christ. We had never had, first of all, we had never had a human uh, who had done it right, who had made it to, to, be, to be in God's presence fully. No human had fulfilled the law, had been able to do, fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. We've all fallen short. We've all earned death, right? Like that's the reality. And yet Christ gives us a picture of a human who did it. And doesn't just give us hope that maybe we could do it, but when we trust in him, we have a promise that we will one day be in heaven with him. Like That is the beauty of recognizing Christ's place. Him being first place in everything means that we have a promise of, of a future of life and hope and resurrection ourselves. That, that is the beauty of what we get when we focus not only on Christ's power, but also Christ's place. And next, we're going to look at Christ's plan. Christ's plan. Uh, verses 19 through 20. Christ's plan. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. On the cross, Jesus reconciles everything. Jesus is at work to reconcile everything. Every wicked power, every authority, everything has been disarmed by the death of Christ. And this is actually that idea of the disarming of these powers. And This is actually the exact wording used in the next chapter in Colossians. Jesus has disarmed every other power. And he's at work reconciling all things. Man, we look at the brokenness of this world. We look at it and we may think, man, is there any way out of this mess? Is there any way to make, you know, that things would be made right? How could, the, how could we look at 2020 and see uh, Christ at work in any of this, right? Like, man, is it possible that Jesus is reigning on the throne and we look around and we see this mess? Can I say that absolutely, 
100% yes. The reason is because you can look at the change in your life and know that when God reigns in the heart of a human, that individual who has been reconciled to Jesus becomes a minister of reconciliation. You get to be a part of his reconciliation plan. This is what we, we see in 2 Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians 5, you know, like in, in where we see this idea that our new identity, we're no, the old has passed away, the new has come, you are now ministers of reconciliation. When Jesus begins to reign in your heart, the things that you are called to do and live out because now his rulership is placed on, upon you to bring Christ's kingdom to this earth, it, it makes you a minister of reconciliation and you can go forth and make a difference. You become uh, uh, the hands and feet of Jesus, as, as, as Paul calls us. You're the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. You are ministers of reconciliation. I am a minister of reconciliation. And, you know, I think even though the church hasn't even officially launched yet, like we're still doing these like online service things. And, and, but, but even though we haven't done that, we, 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 desire to be a church that, that lives out this reality of the new identity of being ministers of reconciliation. Like that we would be people who care for our neighbors. That we wouldn't just be people who, who uh, post stuff on Facebook or Instagram about how we feel about the current scenario and situation in life, but that we would be people who say, no, we're gonna make a difference. This is the whole reason why we desired to church plan, why we desired to go to Southeast Austin and not just stay at the churches that we came from. It's because we saw that God wanted to expand his kingdom reign in, in a different way uh, throughout, uh, throughout Southeast Austin to be a part of what God is already at work doing there, to be ministers of reconciliation, to partner with other ministers of reconciliation and see change happen. And so the, the stuff that we're doing with like uh, bringing, uh, collecting funds so that we can care for Rodriguez Elementary, just even bringing them some school supplies, um, I've, I've been able to drop off some school supplies and see just like the thankfulness and how we're able to participate in, in just that little bit, that, that little piece of seeing God's kingdom, a foretaste of God's kingdom there, um, delivering groceries to families, delivering uh, different, I mean, being able to help different families out who are in financial struggles, like being able to start that at even more, like coming on, on those monthly prayer meetings, right? Uh, the one, once a month coming together and praying, uh, it'll be next week we'll be doing that. Join us. Come be a part of that. Don't just talk about the problems of this world. Let's come together and be ministers of reconciliation and actually practice these things. Fix the, be a part of fixing the problems, not just talking about the, the answers to the problems. It, it makes me think about uh, this, this old story, and I'm sure many of you have heard it. Uh, it's the old starfish, the kid and the starfish story. They, there's a child on the beach, right? Um, and there was a bad storm, and there's like all these starfish for miles and miles along the beach. And there's a child picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean uh, over and over, just one after another, one after another. And uh, a man walks up and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm trying to save save these starfish. And the guy's like, Oh, you'll never be able to make a difference. There's miles of starfish here. You'll never be able to make a difference, right? And the kid like picks one up and he tosses it in and he says, to that one, I made a difference, you know? Um, and it's this be it's a beautiful story. I don't want to make light of it. But, but uh, man, 
oftentimes we become not just like that that guy who's like, what are you doing? But we're like that guy and his friend hanging out on the beach, uh, you know, talking about all the things that the city needs to do to clean up the beach and fix all of these problems for the starfish. And you know what? Let's start a hashtag campaign on Facebook. And if we could do this, then we can get enough petitions and maybe the city will begin to do stuff. And all the while, this kid is over there actually doing something about it, right? And, and you know, I, I think we need to be doing the petitions, joining the, the hashtag campaigns, doing all those things. But if we're not actually participating as ministers of reconciliation on a day, like do something with your lives uh, more than just talk about answers or know the right answers or how to fix the problem. Not just, we want to be people who are actually going to go vote, but not just voting, like recognizing I need to actually participate in bringing reconciliation to the brokenness in this world. How can I serve and love my community? Again, come be a part of the prayer walks. Again, come help us deliver groceries. Uh, give funds to us for the Rodriguez Fund. You know, give give uh, support to the Rodriguez Fund. Be a part of what we're doing. But even more, like, hey, look, um, like maybe if you're praying about it, uh, f- praying about fostering, foster a child, adopt a child. Uh, you know, volunteer at clinics. Do do something. Uh, at a ground level and be par- participating with your hands and your feet, like be a participant as a minister of reconciliation. That's that's really what I, I just would encourage everybody to do. Be a part of the the answer, not just know the answer, not just share what the answer is, but actually get get to work and do something. Man, we are we are in the midst of the cra- one of the craziest years I've ever been a part of uh, nationwide, worldwide, you know? And, and I just, I think, how much more do we need to look to Jesus in this time? How much more do we need to focus on Christ, his power, his place, and his plan? As we do that, I believe it will not only uh, bring peace to our hearts, but it'll set us to action. So I wanna encourage you, man, look to Jesus, focus on him in the midst of this brokenness. Yes, vote. Yes, you know, do the campaigns, do all that stuff, but let's take some action and let's look to him continually. I'm gonna close out with just a couple of applications, actually two applications. First of all, read this passage once each day and take time to focus on Jesus. Read this passage once each day and take time to focus on Jesus. So Colossians 1, 15 through 20, whether it's the beginning of the day, the end of the day, the middle of the day, just read it once each day. And, and focus on Jesus. I believe that will make a huge difference in your heart and, and keep your heart right as we deal with the brokenness around us. Maybe even help us have a perspective shift, you know, and be able to see the beauty that God is creating in the midst of all the brokenness. So read this passage once each day and take time to focus on Jesus. But second of all, do something to combat, uh, do something good to combat uh, something that you have complained about. Do something good to combat something that you've complained about. You know, um, if, you know, whatever it might be, you know, whether it's volunteering somewhere, uh, maybe it is filling out a petition, maybe it is joining a hashtag campaign, but like, I I would encourage you to go further, you know, um, to to go volunteer in, in, different places, you know, maybe volunteer, like to care for the homeless somewhere, or uh, maybe like, 
do something more though. Uh, I would I would even encourage you, uh, like I've already done like three times I think already, but like join us you know, next week uh, for the for the prayer time, uh, the prayer walk. Let's go and pray for our community. That makes it. That really does make a difference. We believe in the power of prayer. Give to the Rodriguez Fund. Uh, help deliver groceries. Sign up to volunteer to do that. You know, like use use your body to be a minister of reconciliation, not just your mind and 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 your mouth or your fingers if you're typing it all out. Whatever, do more. You know, let's 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 continue to love and care for our community as ministers of reconciliation as we focus on who Christ is, His power, His place, and His plan. I'm gonna close with a word of prayer. We'll come back and give the benediction. God, thank you so much that you have given us Jesus to transform all of creation, to glorify you, and that there is this beautiful picture coming that that will glorify you in a way that we can't even imagine when we look around at the mess. Help us to glorify and trust in you. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to be the image bearers we are called to be who represent your rule and your reign uh, more rightly. God, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your purposes. Thank you for being first place in everything, Jesus. Help us to walk and follow after you daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 